Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's slightly later than normal this week, as last week's was, because there was, well, we were waiting for certain things to happen to be able to talk about them. And also, well, I'll be perfectly honest, I've been very, very busy. This is what happens when you have a child. Don't do it. Anyway, I'm joined to uh, talk about what has happened both in the Arsenal men and Arsenal women's team, let's, let's, let's not forget, uh, by Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? I am absolutely splendid and delighted to be talking to you again. Splendid and delighted. Well, uh, we need a bit more of that in life in general, so good start going forwards. So, yeah, as I was saying, it was a week for them, uh, for women's football to come to the fore, uh, particularly with the Arsenal women playing their season opener at the Emirates Stadium, uh, which where they got a crowd of about 9,000, I think, uh, in terms of people, bums on seats, which is pretty good. Uh, and obviously, it's you know, it's, it's good for them to be able to take advantage of the, the the men's team not being at home and, and and get that bit more recognition, particularly as it was such a huge game uh, against Chelsea. Um, now you watched it as well as I did, Paul. In fact, you I, I missed a little bit. You missed a little bit. Hopefully, they weren't the same bit. Um, but uh, as anyone who's had got an interest in the women's team will already know. Uh, these games are not so much six pointers as sort of almost 12 pointers because generally out of Arsenal, Chelsea and Man City, whoever does the best out of that three round Robin wins the league in, in the women's premier league, because the three teams are generally so far ahead of their other rivals, you know, particularly as Liverpool's investment levels have dropped off in the women's team. And, um, you know, Man United are, are, are coming, but they're not as strong yet. So it really is, uh, a three-way battle and Arsenal women haven't actually beaten Chelsea's women for kind of like three years or something, or maybe three and a half years. So they were even worse against Chelsea than the men's team, uh, but not anymore. <laughs> thanks to a barnstorming three, two victory. And what was a, a, a quite an exciting game uh, and, and quite impressive performance by the women's team, even for those of us who are a bit more familiar, but what did you make of it, Paul? Yeah, I, I thought it was um, really exciting. Actually the last, 20 minutes where Chelsea um, was sort of really going at Arsenal and Arsenal were defending quite deep and then trying to hit them on the break. Um, it had the fe feeling, um, particularly when you see those colours of a game in which the blue shirts were surely going to find a way through somehow <laughs> at the end, but didn't quite manage to do it. Um, it's quite interesting. Uh, maybe it isn't. I don't know. Uh, the only one of the reasons I had the game on was that my mum happened to have stayed over with us on Saturday night, and she's a Chelsea fan, and she was properly like, "Oh, are you sure you want to do this to yourself, Paul? Are you sure? Are you sure, my love?" <laughs> um, and <I> <laughs> it was quite. Um, it was just quite. It was quite a fun game to watch with with me mum. Um, nice, nice to. Um, I mean, I you know, people that listen to this podcast regularly will know that I tend not to get too involved with the ladies. And I think um, one of the interesting things about the TV deal now and the, um, the the availability of games on Sky is at least Sky are promoting these games. Mm. So if you've got Sky Sports, you are going to know when the ladies are playing. Whereas I think when the games have been on BBC Interactive or the iPlayer and whatever else they've been broadcast on, it's kind of been, you, you have to go and find out when the games are happening. Um, so I, <laughs> Joe even said to me when I flicked, I, I just checked what time it was starting. I was actually watching the cricket at about 10 past 12 and Joe saw me check and she was like, are you really going to do that? And I was like, yeah, I think. Um, so yeah, and I, it it was a really I thought it was a really good advert for the women's game. To be honest, for the uninitiated like myself, um, 
I, I feel like I would want to watch more games. And I think the fact that it was in, even, even if, as Sylvan said, you know, 8,000 people in a 60,000-seat stadium is maybe not the best. But I think there was something about being at the Emirates that made it feel more... Uh, it gave it a grandeur that it wouldn't have had otherwise. And I guess it also gave it a, a familiarity of feeling for fans who have hitherto only really watched the men's game um, because obviously it's in a familiar environment as you say the familiar colours and all of that and the storylines that go along with that um, and it, I suppose as you, for, as you also alluded to it's also great because we're looking at two teams that are really at a very high level. Um, I mean, obviously, Arsenal have got their their new manager who's come in um, following uh, Joe Montemurro's departure. And he's immediately had an impact, changed the style of the uh, play a little bit, so a little less possession heavy, a little bit more verticality in the team, which was in evidence against Chelsea, but also in, in from, from what I saw of the highlights of pre-season matches. Um, and Chelsea have their very long-standing manager, Emma Hayes, um, and of course, uh, there's there's always a bit of needle Arsenal Chelsea into any circumstances, but also between the Arsenal women and the Chelsea women, there's these are two teams that are two of the three teams that are fighting for the title every year, you know, uh, or at least should be every year and have been. You know, Arsenal are the most successful women's team in the UK by some distance, but Chelsea have had the better of recent seasons uh, as the investment has arrived. Uh, not quite the same dramatic disparity as it was in the men's game, but that's had a big impact. But also there's an extra element of there's quite a few players who either currently or have in the recent past played for Chelsea who basically cut their teeth at Arsenal, either had a, you know very good seasons at Arsenal or had come through the Arsenal youth ranks. But uh, because Arsenal at that time was so strong, or because of money or because of opportunities or whatever, went to Chelsea and uh, and developed further from there. So that lives in, gives an extra element to it as well, is that that, that contempt that uh, familiarity can bring. Um, and... Uh, it was. I mean, it was a good. You know, with the, with the preseason optimism for Arsenal, it was there was a, a, a concern with the bubble you burst. In you know, do you really want to have a new manager with a new system playing their, one of their three or four most important games of the season first up? But that actually worked in our favour because uh, because of the Champions League qualification game, Arsenal had most of their big guns back a little earlier from summer tournaments and what have you. Uh, whereas Chelsea had uh, some of their bit, uh, bigger players were only just kind of getting up to full match fitness. So we therefore started on the bench. Um, so that meant that we, you know, we even though there's been a lot of turnover at Arsenal um, in terms of numbers and, and, and some fan favourites like Daniel van der Donk, et cetera, leaving, and Jill Ruder, who had a very, a very good season last season, there is still, um, Arsenal probably had the stronger lineup. Um, and of course, the arch goal beast that is Vivian Miedemar opened the scoring with a just an incredibly composed, accurate finish, which is like her mo. Um, it was. It reminded me of uh, Ian Allison's goal at Tottenham in nineteen eighty seven. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There's a vintage. Uh, I, 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 one would. Suggest- well, she probably hit it a little bit better. In fairness, but- she did. And and one would suggest that in the uh, in their comparative circumstances, Viv may have achieved a little bit more already than Ian did in his career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that probably goes without saying. But yes, given that she's a holder of all kinds of goal scoring records, um, and so obviously that was a great start. We largely dominated the first half and probably should have scored more. And then uh, one thing that the men and the women's team do have in common is the ability to concede a goal at a bad time, uh, slightly oh, against yeah. every one of things. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the marking for that goal was interesting, wasn't it? The ocean of 10 yards out. Um, yeah. It was a nice finish, but she had a lot of time to line it up, I suppose. It, it, it was it was indeed strangely reminiscent. <laughs> um, so one all at half time, Arsenal disappointed, and then of course the second half comes out and uh, Chelsea made some changes which 
strengthened them, but uh, that sort of almost helped with us playing this slightly more vertical, uh, faster ball progression style and, and, and caught them on the counter with two absolutely gorgeous goals from Beth Mead. Yeah, I'd gone for a shower at halftime. So I actually, I literally, as I, I came out of the bathroom, my mum went, you've just scored. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I literally got my head around the door in time to see the replay. It was a absolutely lovely finish. Yeah, I mean, it, she, it's one of those things that, you know, again, a lot, a lot of people who aren't so familiar with women's football may base some of their opinions on, say, women's football, say, 10 years ago or something like that, where the, the, the athletic and technical levels, because of the lack of professionalism, are not what they are now. But Beth Mead is a, is a wonderfully two-footed player who can finish off either feet. And uh, she showed that perfectly well. And, and, and both of the goals are also really the hallmarks her composure uh, when, when in, in, in goal-scoring situations. And she didn't have quite as good a season last year as the year before, so it's great to see her return with a bang because that's going to make a big difference in the team going forward. And with the competition for places the Arsenal women have up front, I mean, you know, their new superstar signing, Nikita Paris, who'd previously been with Man City Ladies and, and for Leon, uh, is currently finding herself looking, looking from the sidelines a little bit about how am I going to get in this team? because the players ahead of her are playing so well, even though they don't have quite as big reputations. Um, she, she took a bit of a battering on Sunday, didn't she? Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're nice to see that the the one thing that the Chelsea men's team and women's team have in common is a, w- a willingness to leave their foot in. Yeah, I, I can't remember the, the the Chelsea player that did it. She'd already been booked, and then she went went in really hard on Paris, and they were like, Oh, if anything, that was a foul by Paris. And you're like, what? What? <laughs> what are you looking at? I mean, I'm not saying she should have been booked and then sent off, but I thought it was, you know, you talk about endangering a player, you know, winning the ball is almost, it's irrelevant, isn't it? Yeah. And she absolutely smashed it. Anyhow, anyhow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's not talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I got triggered. Also, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm resisting. I guess. Um, but the third goal, we much of offside about it, didn't it? Which, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but again, as as you said, the composure that Beth Mead shows. I was. I love seeing stuff like that. I mean, I I, I could watch footballers do that all day, very, very, very happily. Um, the finish was was was. Slightly taking the piss in the end, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Which is just what you want in a London derby when your team does it. Um, yeah. And, and, and again, you know, great, great through ball to play her through uh, against Chelsea's high line. Um, you know, I mean, as well as scoring her goal, Miedemeyer, you know, got a lovely assist in the game. And, and um, I mean, there was quite a few hefty challenges from Chelsea in that second half. You know, there was one where, I can't remember if it was a midfielder or centre half for us. Now got absolutely clattered in the air, uh, and it was and and you know it was play on tastic. And you're thinking that's that's a that's like fundamentally dangerous play. Um, and of course, when we were sitting pretty, but Chelsea pressed. They brought their superstar subs on um, um, Frank Herbie and um, is it Kerr, the Australian? Frank uh, Kerr, yeah. yeah uh, who are both excellent players with very high reputations and put a bit of pressure on and scored from a, 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 a ball out wide, a, a towering header, if you will. Um, but um, yeah, we sort of held off and, and, and continued to look, carry a threat on the break, which isn't always, again, isn't always the case for the men's team when they're hanging on. And a well-deserved uh, and really, really important victory. Um, so like a really good start to the season um, for the women and only helped by the the news uh, that they've also signed Tobin Heath, the American you know, superstar player who's uh, coming to coming to the Arsenal, um, which is very exciting, uh, not only for the for the what she brings on the pitch, but also a profile within the women's game, you know, generating a bit more interest in the States is always a good thing. And also after, you know, years of it always being Arsenal top players going off to go and play in America, uh, which was, you know, actually was what precipitated 
the change from Arsenal being the dominant force to being a less dominant team is they really lost a whole raft of players, you know, obviously could get paid more and be more professional and ever going to America. And now we're starting to bring two or three, three across the Atlantic in this direction. And that's, that's absolutely fantastic. That really shows the strength of the WSL and how it's evolving. And also the enduring appeal of the Arsenal badge, uh, which is always nice to see. Uh, any other thoughts about the game before we move on? Um, <laughs> I, I, yes, but it's not an <laughs> Arsenal related one. I thought, okay. gee, the uh, the other uh, midfielder for Chelsea. Uh, every time she got the ball, she was frightening. She's a player, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. Very- Sorry, I was so I was, yeah, uh, just very good close control, eye for a pass. Yeah, um, yeah, I was really impressed with her, but also frightened. Yeah, well, it's that thing where I mean, obviously, the, you know, the argument, particularly put by people who are less complimentary about women's football, has always been about you know the women couldn't beat the men, or whatever. And of course, there is a difference in physical strength and power and size but you know you you can really see in the last few years that the technical level of the women's game in England has has really taken big leaps forward you know quite a few players two-footed as you say fantastic close control from G midfield um, much more tactical awareness um, and and you know there's you do find yourself when you watch the last women thinking yeah, all right, it might not be as physically intense, but I wish the men's team had some players who could bloody do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine actually took his two young daughters to the game and he had a really good time. So um, I, I guess they'll be hoping for more uh, outings at the Emirates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I really hope it happens as well. Um, you know, the more unified the two teams are and, uh, under the banner of the club is great. And also we've got a stadium, you know, we have two teams. Let's let's let the other one use it more often. Uh, you know, as long as as long as there retains this level of interest. I mean, the thing that's always kept them apart is that if you can't get the crowds, and there isn't the sufficient commercial imperative. So it's always going to be these you know places. No offense to 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 you know the other the other grounds that the most teams play at. But once you get to a point where where it becomes commercially viable to have them playing at the main stadiums and. Then, then that's going to happen. It's only going to grow the women's game, and, and obviously things like the Mind Series preseason games, where their men's team and the women's team is played on the same day. You know, these these are all really important for not just the growth of the women's game, but also, you know, Arsenal Football Club as a whole, um, uh, with the different elements it has within it. Um, so yeah, great start for the ladies, um, or the women. Sorry, it's not Arsenal ladies anymore; it's Arsenal women. Uh, this that's me showing my my duration. Uh, Still, still thinking of the, the great days of Judy Fleeting just pissing all over the league. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Marianne. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say Marianne Spacey. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, at one point, the Arsenal women were so dominant. It, it, it was a little bit like Celtic in Scotland for the last mm. few years. Um, you know, they'd, they'd win a trophy every year and quite often they'd win multiple trophies every year. Um, and uh, yeah, good to see that they're on a start to potentially go back to winning a league title for the first time in, in three years, uh, which would be fan dozy. Uh Yeah, so moving away from that, um, since you and I last spoke, there's mm. been a bit more activity in the uh, comings and goings. Um <laughs> I mean, before we sort of get into individuals, I suppose one one thing to do would be like, what from your perspective? Let's do it out of ten because it's an arbitrary thing, but at least it's an arbitrary thing everyone can understand. How would you rate the Arsenal transfer window for? Uh, well, yeah, the, the transfer window for incomings and for outgoings, because obviously they they've been quite different for us, and they're quite different in the global context as well. Um. I'd say, I think incomings, I'd say probably seven, seven to eight. I'd go higher than that if they'd managed to get a central midfielder in. Um, 
because of you know the fa- the fabled party partner, but that wasn't going to happen unless we sold Granite Jacker, and then so <laughs> a, a neat little segue into the outgoings. I mean, to only be able to generate a transfer fee for Joe Willock, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, uh, you know, it's been a tough market or whatever, but I heard um, on the Askcast that Chelsea managed to generate um, 100 plus million in terms of player sales. Um, so I think... It's, it seems fairly obvious that Arsenal have been hamstrung in getting rid of players by existing contracts that may have been uh, authorised by previous yeah. regimes. Yeah, yeah. So I do appreciate that Edu has possibly had a bit of a hospital pass in that regard, but you can't really look at giving Arsenal much beyond the three or a four in terms of the outgoings, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, my my ratings would be pretty similar. I'd, I'd say for incomings, I'd I'd go for eight. Uh, I would like you. Um, I was quite excited by the possibilities when it looked like Jacques might be out the door, even though I don't dislike the player as much as others. Um, but then, you know, Roma basically tried to shaft us and like going, here's a player that's just had the best season of his career and just had a very strong international tournament, and we want to take him off your hands for not enough money to buy the boots of his replacement you'd need to get. And it's like, come on, we know. And it's a thing of because Arsenal have been having to usher people out the door one way or another over the last few years, there is this now this taking the piss. You know, you can go to Arsenal and take the piss. So you've got all these clubs lining up, not pleading poverty. I know we can't afford, so we can only bid like 12 million for Xhaka or can we take Maitland-Niles on loan for two years or... You know, and it's just like, hang on, we've just seen you spunk twenty million, or you're, or next week after you turn you down, you spend another thirty million on someone. You've got the fucking money, and so yeah. Yeah. although although I was kind of looking forward to the option of change, I think it would have been stupid for us to sell Jacker at that price. And of course, if you've got if you if and no one else came in for him, you know, I mean, Jacker is has his flaws, but. You want to, you know, unless you can replace him with someone who's a clear upgrade, you don't just kick someone like that out of your squad, uh, unless without it bringing you a significant return. And that's how I feel about. That's why I'm a bit more forgiving about the outgoings, and would probably give them a five out of ten, uh, just because, uh, you know, there were, there were opportunities missed, but there were also. You know the offers we've been receiving for our players is like you know obviously the comparison is Chelsea and you wonder how the hell they do it because there's these players that have barely played any first team football for anyone and they're bidding them off for twenty million to like Russia and you're like a why is the team from that country spending that much money on a player who's not proven apart from the fact they might have some dodgy connections there but also um, what is it they're doing differently? Because these players, are, you know, yes, they're using their loan system, but some of these players are going on loan and not exactly blowing the doors off. You know, they're, they're being yeah. good, but not fantastic. And yet they still manage to get top dollar for them. And that's something that obviously we have not learned the secret of that magical potion yet. Um, just being going back to specifics, I'd say with the incomings, I was one of the few people that was disappointed that we couldn't make the deal for Tammy Abraham happen. Uh, because, just because I think he would have brought a lot of qualities to our options that we don't currently have. Uh, but that was never going to happen once it became clear that no one was prepared to put any bid in for Lacazette uh, beyond the paper talk. And uh, and then as it turned out later down the line, even when we did get a, a deal lined up for Eddie Nketiah, he decided it wasn't paying him enough money and essentially chosen to, rather than have a chance to be first-choice striker for Palace, chosen to be third-choice striker for Arsenal in a team that's now playing very much a one-striker system. So I'm not sure quite... I mean, you can't really blame the club on that one. They've kind of... They they were willing to accept far less than they wanted for him, and he just decided he didn't want to go, even though it had been in his best... best in his best interest, really. Um, that obviously stymied the deal for, deal for another striker, which I would have liked to have to give us a, a bit more variety. In terms of outgoings, uh, I mean, I don't know what conversation Edwin had with Willian, but that was like... A, <laughs> Get <that> was, out! 
Well, it couldn't have been that because if you'd say that, it'd say, okay, I will do when you give him my 20 million quid, please. You know, but he had some conversation with him that made William willing to leave certainly the majority of that money on the table. Um, and that's obviously credit to the player, but also the club must have done something to make that seem like a fair option for him as well. <laughs> Whether it's due to personal relationship, I don't know. But that's he must, Yeah, he must have got something out of that, I feel. Um, but it must be... And I wonder if the difference between someone like him and Ozil is that Ozil did still have people in his camp, even as that unpleasantness dragged on and on and on and on. There are still people who support Arsenal that would have defended, they would have defended Meza Ozil, to borrow Trump's analogy, if he'd taken out a gun in Times Square and shot someone. Whereas I think uh, Arsenal, Willian didn't really have any defenders. And I think that it must have been, you know, as, as frustrating as it was to watch him when he played for us, he that guy, he knows what he's capable of, and hmm. to be n- not delivering it for whatever reason, and some so, some people have said, and possibly with some justification, maybe we need to look at the way William was being coached because um, actually, which attacking players at the football club, other than our two uh, bright young things, did themselves justice last season, and um, the answer is. Really, none of them, with the exception of maybe Lacker. Yeah, and it's not like he was setting the world on fire. So maybe, maybe there were other issues at play. Maybe time will be kinder to Willian than we're all feeling right now. But I mean, yeah, Edu's done really well to get him out of the door. I mean, essentially, Willian leaving paid for a paid for Tommy Asu. Hmm. Um. And and I agree with you. I mean, I, I you know, obviously, I, I it was clear quite early on that it just wasn't working, and it became clear the longer it went on that it wasn't going to work. Um, he seemed, I mean, he seemed at first uncertain, and then at times not motivated, um, but also it was one of those things where. You could see the logic, a logic, when he turned up, but then it quickly became clear that actually that wasn't going to work, not just because of his performances, but also in what he brings and what the team needed, as we discovered, turned out to be slightly different things. Uh, And... um, And and so you look at the way that he was utilised, you look at the way that the team evolved over the season, and it does make you think there was clearly a a plan there, but what was the plan? I mean, obviously it didn't didn't help that Willian's form, you know, went off a cliff. But even so, even even in the games when he was playing reasonably well, you're sort of thinking, this doesn't quite fit what we're trying to do here. Um, So it was kind of it was a kind of interesting one to work out what, what whatever the plan was it didn't happen to, and it didn't happen to the degree that both parties were just happy to walk away from it. Then, but what was the plan? Is an interesting- yeah. It, who knows what what I do know is that I hope that ev- everyone in the Arsenal hierarchy that needs to. And this probably goes right up to the Cronkies because they are the fucking owners at the end of the day. Do not give 32-year-old Chelsea rejects several hundred thousand pounds a week to play football for this football club. Um, We had no business really giving Willian that deal to begin with. Uh, You know, as much as to say Edu's done well to get him out, and he has, he brought him in in the first place. And Arteta... Um, almost to your point, actually, Arteta pushed for this signing. We know that. Mm. Um, why? What was the intention? I mean, if the intention was to help Gabriel Martinelli bed in even further than he's already been bedded in, okay, you can see some sort of logic to that, maybe. But he also took, and I know we've talked 
repeatedly and we don't need to get into it again particularly I don't think about Nicola Pepe and how his form well he got dropped having finished last the season before really strongly you know and being our best player in the cup final apart from Uber, um he he just got binned off um and actually we we saw towards the end of the season the amount of games that Pepe won us just one of two of those games that were given to William might have got us back into Europe. Although I will say to counter that, uh, that in the first third of the season, you know, Willian wasn't tearing up any trees, but he he was bringing a lot more to the table than Pepe was when he was playing. I mean, obviously, you know, you can say how was Pepe's confidence affected, you know, was not getting the game time. And, but, I mean, we have to sort of hark back to conversations we were having sort of November last year. Mm. So but like, you know, what the hell's wrong with this guy? He doesn't look like he's got so much talent, but he doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing and seems to be in a different planet to the rest of his teammates. And, it, you know, it, it, it would have been very difficult at that point to foresee the end of season form that we saw from him. But I think there... <laughs> I just think he needed to be given a bit of trust. And he's still, he's obviously a player that we have massively overpaid for this guy. Everybody yeah, knows yeah, this yeah. now. Um, but we signed him and we've made a commitment to him. And we can see that, as, as you said before, you know, he's not necessarily a creator. He's, he's someone that's going to be on the end of things. He's a goal scoring winger rather than a creator. Um, so maybe he can't play in a team with Aubameyang, which is a problem. But I think one of the knock ons of signing Willian, of course, is that Reese Nelson was just mm. whatever, whatever happened with him last summer where he didn't get a loan move. He, he has spent, the last year kicking his heels and he's 23 years old. He needs to play football. And the big um, question with that one is why the, did he not go on loan in January when we tried to loan him out? Yeah. Bizarre. But, you know, I mean, it may be that he's not good enough, but again, give, give him a chance to show it one way or another. And then if, I don't, I don't think there are many Arsenal fans that would have gone into last season complaining about having Pepe as our first choice right winger. And of course, we've got Bukaya that can play there as well. And then you've got Reese Nelson if you need him. We didn't need to add Willian. There was no... I, and to do it at the money that it cost when he'd already said he wanted to start. Anyway, it's, all, it's done. It's happened. Um, I'm just grateful that he moved on and there was a bit of me that actually, I know there was a bit of outrage when he liked Chelsea's Instagram post. Um, I thought it was quite funny in a way. I, I, you know, well, it, it sort of added some clarity to the situation because... Yeah, didn't it? Because you're, like, um, well, you're also like, well, you wouldn't do that unless you're gone. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Instagram posts, what did you make of the free Maitland Niles... <laughs> campaign I feel, well <laughs> you probably know what i'm gonna say um i feel really bad for him i feel you know if the net result of all of this is that he is a, actually part of Mikel arteta's plans and he's gonna be used um then great but um We've got. We've just gone and signed uh, Tommy Yassi, so he, it seems to me he is going to be Arsenal's right back. And he seems, from what I've read about him, I can't claim any knowledge, but from what I've read about him, I read the piece on the Athletic website a couple of weeks ago. He seems like he ticks a lot of boxes for us. I mean, two-footed, what's not to like about that? Good in the air. Arsenal, yeah, God, Jesus Christ. I mean, <laughs> a defender who's good in the air. Oh, my God, Arsenal, what are you doing to us? Well, he, um, I mean, he, he, on paper, he appears to be what we always hoped Cannon Chambers might be one day. Yeah. So, I'm, I, in general, I'm really pleased with that signing, actually. Um, but it seems to me that if Maitland-Niles is going to play in that position, it's going to be as a rotation option. Mm. But then maybe 
Mikel's going to use him in midfield. But again, I can't see that between Party and Lokonga, how many. Maybe there will be situations where he could play in there. I I don't know. I just, as you know, I I feel a lot of love for Ainsley, as I do most of our Highlanders, and it saddens me that he felt he had to resort to that, and he's probably not had good advice from his agent. Um, Not for the first time. (laughs) Not for the first time. But, you know, he's 23, 24 years old. He he wants to play football. You know, um, I was... (laughs) I was talking to someone at work today about how you only get one life and you've got to try and enjoy it. And, you know, for footballers, their careers are, you know, short. Um, you know, one minute you're 23 to 24 and the next minute you're 29 and um, you're, you're racing to, you know, you'd be racing towards one-year contracts if Arsene Wenger was still in charge of the Arsenal Football Club. So... Um, it's, I don't think it was a great look for the club all round. I think that, like I say, Ainsley's probably not had good advice, but I totally get his frustration. I just hope fervently that the outcome of all this is that he's going to get some games. But I, yeah, for all parties, actually. Uh, and um, I mean, the the thing that that. The thing that diminishes my sympathy for Ainsley is I can totally understand the feeling and indeed the fact he sent the message um, because, you know, Arsenal have messed him around a bit. He's contributed to that at times with wanting to, you know, having preferences that might not have been in his best interest, positioning, what have you. Um, But he has been the guy that's like, where do we need someone? We'll bung Ainsley there. But on the flip side... It's one thing going we let my doing the let my people go when there's an actual like vaguely reasonable offer on the table for you. The problem the problem is is that at, you know as a kind of plea, it might have worked if someone was actually poning up any money. Mm. The fact is, is last year Wolves came in at ten million less than was initially reported and therefore less than the asking price. You know, for a guy that had just had the best season of his career, just got into the England squad. And they, you know, English tax twenty three, with all the potential we know Ainsley has, and they, and they thought that fifteen million was, was enough. You know, when they just sold fucking Doherty for that much money, uh, who's you know great going forward but can't defend for shit. Um, but I, I I do understand that, but at the same time, what was the point in keeping him if we've gonna? play him like well, well, I don't even know how many times he played last season but it wasn't the point, more than well, the point in, well the point in keeping him was that uh, that you, you had one left back you were trying to fire into space in Kalasinac you had another left back Tierney who you love but you know is injury prone and so you, the thought was that he'd get games in that position particularly if we were playing wing back the difficulty he had is that Tierney's injuries didn't really kick in until after he'd buggered off on loan to West Brom. You know, if he'd been here for the second half of the season and been on loan for the first, he probably ended up getting a decent amount of games with the way that things panned out. Um, I totally understand, though, because he's once he's a central midfielder who, who's probably next best at right-back and works best for Arsenal. Probably his best games for us have been, you know, in terms of regular games, have been in, as a sort of inverted wing back in a back three. And of course, we abandoned the back three. So he's sitting there thinking, what, like, what, do, what do you want to do with me? Yeah. But at the time Wolves came in for him, he was in the team. That's the thing, is when Wolves actually came to buy him, he was playing for us, not every game, but he was, you know, he was, and he'd just gotten to the England squad. And then Wolves came in with an offer, you're like, fuck off. You know, like come back with some real money and we can talk. You know, it's like we all recognise the need to move these players on if they're not going to play and, and try and generate cash for them. But when you're already being done over and bent over a barrel for the... But then again, it's like, well, what was what was the plan for him? And it, yeah. is, if there wasn't one, then surely 15 million is better than letting him run his contract down and he fucks off in a free transfer two years later. Um, and I just think the whole thing just... I'm so biased. <laughs> just feels really mismanaged to me because we had someone that was an England international last summer and he can't get in the first team of the eight 
best football club in this in the league last season. I, yeah, I, I I I totally accept that he probably could have managed things better. And well, the thing the, is, is that I'm still optimistic enough to think that even with Tommy Asu, if Ainsley, re- you know, whatever's gone on with Arteta, if Ainsley really like focuses and and pushes himself. I can still see him as plenty of scenarios where he gets games this season because, yeah. you know, let's face it, the positions he's competing for, uh, at fullback, you've got Tierney, a bit injury prone, Tavares, shitloads of potential, roars anything, looks like he doesn't really know how to defend very well yet. And at right back, you've got Cedric, who's doing his best to, to, to play brilliantly behind closed doors games, but absolute shit when it matters. Uh, Chambers, who seems to have started this season, like he, what, like he, like he's fallen off. I don't know what's happened. I think Clive on the uh, Arsenal Vision podcast said he'd been in on the buckets of KFC, but but he, you know, Chambers looks unfit, lacking in confidence, and uh, uncertain. Even though he's being basically asked to do the same thing as he was last year, early days, of course. Um, yeah, Tommy Asa, we don't know how he's going to adapt. The hope, the hope is is there, and we we like the profile of the player, but we don't. We've not seen him play in England and Hector's good on loan. So, you know, if, if Maitland-Niles starts tearing it up in training and a couple of those guys don't step up from where they are at the moment, then suddenly he's getting 15, 20 games minimum. Yeah. Can we talk, just while it's on my mind, can we talk about the world that we're living in, that Mikel Arteta lives in, where William Saliba is not deemed to be good enough to play first-team football for Arsenal and yet we can go to Manchester City and play a back three of Rob Holding, Callum Chambers, and particularly Sayed Kolasinac. Like, what the fuck is going on? Well, I'll I, say... I, I just found that that team selection was actually outrageous to me. Well, I'll say three things to that. Firstly, uh, Kolasinac was only playing in that game because we were playing a back three, and the tactic was to push the wingbacks on and push the, the wide centre-halves out into wide areas. They needed to be people who were also auxiliary full-backs. Perhaps a better option would be to have Tierney at left centre-half and Tavares at left-back, but Tavares, showing himself defensively, switches off a bit. You know, he's got all the potential in the world, but that's a, that's a big ask. Um, <laughs> hey, what, what, were you talking about defenders switching off there? Yeah, <laughs> there's a competition for that accolade. Fuck but- you, no, I, I just, it, it blows my mind. I, I get the rationale behind the selection on the day, but he's put himself in that position. Well, what I was also going to say is that ultimately with Saliba, there's no way that at this moment in time, it looks good for Arteta. It looks like from, a, you know, in the absence of knowledge, it looks like they've had a falling out and Arteta's shoved him out the door or Saliba doesn't want to be here. It looks, but as I think I said, maybe even on, on the previous podcast, that it really depends on what, what happens this time next year. That'll tell us what we need to know. Because if Saliba, if the idea is that Saliba's basically, we bought Ben White, Rob Holding has been quite solid for the games we need to defend deep. Gabriel's been great. Saliba's not going to get that many games, particularly not with Europe. Maybe, but if he goes to Marseille and smashes it for a season, then he's going to come back ready to basically be third choice at worst. And if that's what happens, then Arteta looks smart because we're clearly operating in a much more long-term plan. If that's not what happens, then Arteta looks like a fucking petty idiot. And uh, and at the moment, the, the thing is, is the club aren't telling us really. So in the absence of information, people always draw conclusions, and at the, and it's and it's a lot easier to draw negative conclusions at the moment because Saliba is playing so well in France, and our central defenders this season <laughs> have started either injured or playing like they don't know how to play. Um, it's one of those debates that right now it's very hard to not beat Arteta with a stick. But if but if our new back four, if our first choice players stay fit and gel then it's a question that will be a lot less important, you know, a few weeks down the line when that happens. And, you know, I, I, I still really very much hope that Saliba will be an Arsenal player in the long term, but I'm not like many, I'm suspicious as to whether that's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then, then somebody, you know, 
somebody's got to have a word and not just with Arteta because if Arteta doesn't want the player, then why aren't we selling him? And and, unless Edu's saying, no, you can't sell him. He's too good a prospect that we're not going to let you bid him off even if you've had a Barney with him, which is a possibility. But um, yeah, that, that for me is the biggest... WTF about this squad at the moment? Um, you know, is it just a fear of having too many young, young, inexperienced England central defenders at the same time who are your key players? I don't know, but that's. I mean, it's hard to say as well because also that game against Man City, it looked a little bit like he was putting out a team. He was putting out a team he knew was going to lose. He was trying something just just on the off chance, and he was trying to in his selection, protect the players who it might be too much too soon for them, you know, in terms of uh, Mario just had a couple of bad games, so he pulled him out. He put he didn't put Laconga on. Uh, you know, the only young players that started was Smith, Rowe and Saka have already been through the the, the hellfire that is Arsenal <laughs> getting gubbed. Um, so maybe there's an element of that. I mean, but it's, it, it isn't... It was a sort of logical plan. It was a plan that sort of looked interesting until City got their first goal. And then it quite quickly looked stupid because it was a plan that could only work if City didn't get the first goal. <laughs> I, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I actually turned it off. As soon as the first goal went in, I thought, I'm, I know how this ends. I'm not. Oh, that's England good. At least you do- spared yourself. Yeah, well, England were doing quite well at Headingley, as I remember. Um but um, yeah, I just thought well, I'm, I'm, that's ridiculous because we had started really well, and then as usual with City, the first chance they get, it goes in the back of the net, and it's always a header. That's the thing that gets. It's like then, how? How did? It's like they know there's a weakness that we have, and they they exploit it mercilessly. Yeah, um, Arsenal lads, they, they don't like it if you cross the ball onto the heads of small people. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, just it, it, I think that was the thing. I had such negativity in my head and my heart at seeing that team selection that I thought, you know what, I'm just not going to do this. I'm not. Um, so the, actually, all I've seen of that game is up to the first goal and the Granite Jacker tackle that we're not going to talk about. Yeah, and we're not going to bother revisiting, you know, anything else. <laughs> But um, can I just... Oh, one thing we haven't talked about, because I think it probably happened quite soon after um, our, the last pod, the Brentford game, was uh, we signed Martin Erdegaard. And exactly. I, was having, I was having a conversation with my uncle where he was like, I just don't understand why we've signed him. Um, Smith Rowe's going to have to play wide and Erdegaard doesn't bring anything that Smith Rowe can't bring. And I'm like, how can you watch that Brentford game and conclude that we don't need someone that can open defences up with passes? Like, we have one tactic, and that is to get the ball to Kieran Tierney. Otherwise, we hope that Saka or Smith Rowe might do something. But there's no tactical, or there doesn't seem to be at the moment, a tactical plan beyond that. Well, Martin Erdegaard will clearly help with that. Yeah, I mean, far from me to denigrate your your m- most esteemed uncle and his interesting opinions, um, <laughs> I, I would say that what he's done there is what a lot of people do is they look at the position, you know, normally a player's position, and they don't really think about the attributes of that player. Um, yeah, okay, they, they're both number tens, but they're com- completely different in terms of what they bring and and actually as we saw last season they can play very effectively together and they have a very complementary skill set because Smith throws a, a, a ball carrier a facilitator someone who's always making spaces finding angles keep it moving keep it moving travel with the ball Erdegaard's the guy who slows it down and picks the pass and those are two things which have obvious synergies you know uh, and they should you know Smith throws should be a player that actually makes Erdegaard's life easier and Erdegaard should be a player that can get Smith throwing the ball in positions where he's not going to do quite so much and he's Todd. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about the signing. Obviously there are flaws to his game. You know, he's never going to be particularly athletic uh, beyond what he is at the moment. He's quite one footed. He's never going to be a huge goal scorer. Uh, but you know, 
what sums up part of his luck also for Arsenal is when he was on loan, which is probably good for us in terms of the fee, is that uh, for Norway against Gibraltar, I think it was their planning the other night, and he made 12 key passes for goal-scoring chances and didn't get an assist. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that, and, and you, you know what that made me think of? Go on. Meza Ozil, the season he started on absolute fire and then was yeah. on like two assists short of the record for like five months because nobody in the team could shoot after Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really happy with the signing. I'm very excited about it. Um, well, I wanted to ask you what you thought about Ramsdale, who's been obviously a bit more uh, splitting opinion. Uh, yeah, but, I feel... But his personality so, seems to have won people over a bit. Yeah, no, I, I listened to the pod you did with Helen and I'm much the same. I was quite underwhelmed by the prospects of signing him initially. But um, I, yeah, admittedly, it was the cup game against West Brom, but I thought he did really well in that game. He made some good saves, seemed to handle the ball well. His kicking's good. Um, and ultimately, as you know, I'm not that happy with Burnt Leno um, that, well, I'm not that happy with Burnt Leno. There is no <laughs> addition to that sentence. Um, yeah, okay. So I could, I, I, yeah, and he was so, and I know Helen talked about this, he was so pleased, yeah. so pleased to have signed for us. How can you not warm to him? Um and you know he, he's young for a goalkeeper still, isn't he? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that you've you've covered it. Obviously, twenty four mil is a lot to spend on a reserve goalkeeper, but that clearly isn't why he's been bought. Um, I, I feel quite optimistic about that. And actually, when you think about Arsenal's transfer business as a whole, Lukonga looks like a player. I was, I was going to say I'm waiting. I think he's. I think he's good enough to play. He's certainly good enough to play in our midfield. Um, so the business that Arsenal have done in terms of bringing people in generally, I think that there are reasons to be excited. I think the big question for me is: Is Mikel Arteta the right manager to get the most out of these players? And I have to say that. I'm not really sure that he is, um, but let's wait and see. What well, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, as, be, as we were saying, to, sorry, I thought you no, no, just totally unfair to judge him having made all these signings without having had a chance to see the signings integrated into the team. Um, yeah, or he, or so he I it once. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, you know, hopefully the fears are unfounded and actually Arsenal were, uh, you know, it'd be a good month to uh, pick up ahead of steam. Cause, uh, yeah. Well, and just on that, you know, as you said, there's some winnable fixtures coming up and it's a good chance to integrate some of those new signings and get, and, and, and um, you know, in, in games which aren't kind of, you know, obviously if you're playing away at Man City or home to Chelsea, and you've got a weakened team, it's like the pressure on the players coming in is big, you know, whereas obviously there's going to be a lot of pressure because we've started so badly, but ultimately the pressure of playing Norwich at home is never going to be as big as the pressure of playing Chelsea at home or Man City away, um, particularly when ultimately when you play Norwich, you're going to probably have a stronger first 11 selection of players than they are, you know, in terms of in terms of skill sets and, and whatever. So that, that can give the players comfort um i would say with arteta that you know i've probably said this before but we're now at the time where quite a lot of the players in the team from here on in i mean that was the thing about the etihad there were not that many players in that team against man city who were arteta's players it's crazy how many wenger signings were still in that team there was erdegaard and cedric and Cedric's not someone that you want to particularly talk about. They'll <laughs> uh, talk about mismatches. Um, but, um, you know, we're at a point now where pretty soon he's going to have an ability to have his players. And yes, we all know that these are part of long-term strategy for the future, blah, 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 health of the club, you know, you know resale value, et cetera, et cetera, growing together. But, you know, these are players that at least fit the model of, of what Arteta wants to do in terms of their skill sets. 
So even if we don't, even if we're not going to see anything like the finished article and not going to necessarily get the results we might expect, we should now be able to expect within a few weeks of bedding in, we should expect to see something that tells us more about where we're going. You know, yeah. what's, 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 what's Arteta tr- actually trying to do? When he first came in, he did great, steady the ship, cook up some tactical plan that allows us to surprise some of the big boys, win us a trophy, no complaints. But it was clear, we knew at the time, we said at the time, that this wasn't going to be what he wanted to do. Last season, we were sort of caught between two sort of ideologies at the start of the season, ended up doing neither. And then as we, we adjusted as the season went on, there was quite a lot of things, there were some big disappointments in there, but there was a lot of things to kind of be pleased about and hopeful about. So really, this is the time where, you know, most of these players that uh, have been here for any time, he's had for long enough, they know what they should know what he's trying to do. And the players that come in fit the profile of what he's trying to do, even if they're not quite there yet. So um, we should tell a lot from Arteta's future from the next couple of months, even if it's not just purely results-based. But as football is a results-based business, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, return to domestic football at the weekend? <laughs> I'm I'm at a festival in Reading, not the Reading Festival. Obviously, that's already happened. But um, I was a bit I was a little bit gutted when I, I realised that we were going to be home to Norwich on the same day because uh, obviously home to Norwich feels like a, a fun day out at the Emirates. Whether that will be the case, you know, it's like <laughs> very easily see us. Oh God, we're one nil down already. The ball's gone in off Ben White's bum or something. But no, I think with with the players coming back. And I know Emil Smith-Rowe's been returned from international duty unwell, but it's not COVID, so hopefully he's, a, he's all right. And even if he isn't, we've, we've got Martin Odegaard. Um, right. <laughs> um, uh, I can't sit here and say that I think Arsenal are not going to beat Norwich on Saturday. I mean, even despite this horrendous start to the season we've had, I fully expect us to go out and get a result and I, I wouldn't say comfortably because I don't the Arsenal haven't won too many games comfortably and under Mikel Arteta but um, hopefully it'll be a nice routine 2-0 I'll say if Thomas Party starts the game and plays the game I expect and plays the full game I expect us to win by three goals for overall yeah. uh, but just because I think it, he transforms what our midfield can do and I, think, mm. I think it'll be a decent match for Lukonga to come in for Xhaka. Uh, and if Gabriel Magalhaes is fit, that'll be huge as well, just because he brings f- uh, physical attributes to our defence or otherwise lacking. Um, I'd forgotten Xhaka was suspended. Yes, indeed. Um, two other things I just wanted to touch on very briefly. Uh, nice man of the match for uh, our boy, Bukayo. The birthday boy. Yay. Yeah. Um, man match the goal. Uh, <laughs> I saw a tremendously mean spirited tweet on Twitter after that. Oh, he's getting the Make a Wish Foundation just because he let his country down and missed the penalty. He's like, people not quite being able to do things that they want to do doesn't mean they've let their country down, it just means they're human beings. Um, and what I loved about I, I is... give you Exhibit A, Boris Johnson. <laughs> well, yeah, indeed. Yeah, you know, if you want to see someone that's let the country down, I, get, I present our prime minister. <laughs> yeah, there are other targets available. Um, I, I saw his goal, nice header. Um, thought, be, lovely interview after the game and the crowd singing happy birthday to him must have... Um, yeah, that was cool. It, it, he must have absolutely loved that. And I think... As you know, uh, well, we're, we're both. I think we're, me and you are probably one and two members of the Buckeye Saka fan club, aren't we? Um, yeah, certainly up there, yeah. Uh, <laughs> local connections, De- yeah. yeah, delighted for him. And um, yeah, I mean, just on that, it was uh, just great to see that that positive reaction he had in the summer continues so much from the England fans, and 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 that you know if his if his popularity continues to transcend club loyalties, that'd be obviously lovely for him, but it also it will have positive effects for us as, as Arsenal football club as well. Um, 
The only other thing I want to just mention is uh, 123's lost their first uh, game of the, is it Johnson's Paint Trophy? I can never remember which it is now. Um, but against uh, Swindon's first team uh, with uh, 2 1, narrow, narrow defeat, but with an excellent performance from Charlie Patino in midfield, um, young lad that who joined us, I think, from Luton a few years back. Uh, not the only parallel he shares with Jack Wilshire as being a, a central midfielder, left-footed, extremely tidy in the ball, great distributor. Stylistically different, but he's one to look out for. If you're not familiar with him, just find yourself on YouTube, have a look, and allow yourself to get a little bit excited about one of the young players we've got coming. <laughs> um, there was a piece in The Athletic about him a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you read it, but um, I, I believe they are... They're earmarking him for fast tracking towards the first team. So he may be a name we start to hear a bit more about relatively soon. Yeah, um, particularly with a, a favourable draw in the League Cup in the next round. So he might get maybe get us a place on the bench for that one. Uh, Wasn't that a relief not to see Liverpool away? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the other bright young sparking midfield, Miguel Aziz, has just gone on loan to Portsmouth for the season, but we do have the option to recall him in January. And he's uh, and following the Smith Row route of uh, playing with uh, the Cowley brothers. As, uh, so yeah. it's obviously their relationship with us and how the way they looked after Smith Row has obviously benefited them in terms of getting him on loan. Um, and just for anyone that's really not that familiar with the younger players, also. If you, you go on the Arsenal player, uh, you know, have a look at the other 23 highlights or go on YouTube and just watch out for Amari Hutchinson. Uh, there was YouTube videos of him going around playing left back as a sort of two foot nothing kid about 10 years ago or something. And it's just lovely to see somebody who's been sort of bigged up as a bit of a wonder kid when they're tiny, looking like they've got a chance of making it because his his early uh, seat, uh, performances at the age groups have been fantastic. Um, and uh, yeah, shows a, a, a brilliant dribbler, great eye for goal. Um, like a bit like Bakaya Saka, less powerful and a bit more, a bit more tricky winger in stylistically. Uh, you know, in terms of sort of the way he beats people, but left-footed, uh, but can use his right, um, quick, direct, tactically and astute. You know, he's 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 one to get excited about as well. Um, I mean, who knows? Obviously, with the transition between reserves and first team is huge. But uh, yeah, if, you, if you're not familiar with them, look up those guys and feel a little bit better about the long term future. <laughs> All right, Paul, thanks again. Uh, lovely to speak to you, as always. Um, hopefully the next time we speak, we might have some points and some goals. It, yeah, um, we'll keep our fingers yeah, crossed. Mate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks if you got this far, listeners. Uh, always a pleasure to speak to you out there. Um, you got any comments? Drop them onto the Twitter. I'm quite willing to take any abuse you want to give me. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll speak to you again very soon. Have a great week, everyone. Cheers. Cheerio.